Amen. Anybody rather be in a jailhouse? All right. We're glad you're back. I'm glad you're back, too. And I trust the Lord will bless you for your coming. Tonight, I'm going to summarize what we said this morning. I dealt with details. I figure anybody comes back Sunday night, that's the cream of the crop. So we're just going to give out the cream tonight. And I trust it will be a blessing to you. Ephesians chapter 5. And if you're able, would you please stand with me as I read just one verse of Scripture for our lesson tonight. It will be in verse number 27. Now, when you say Ephesians 5, obviously people immediately think of husbands, love your wives. Or, better yet, wives, submit to your husbands. I think that's the best verse in the Bible. Amen. But uh, we're going to give you the whole reason why the Lord even brought all that stuff up. He just tells us that marriage is to reflect what the church relationship to God is all about. And so he says in verse number 27 that he might present it to himself, what? A glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. But tonight I'm going to preach a little bit and summarize to you what God, when he looks down at Bible Baptist Church in Pembroke Pines, when he looks at Salt Trail Baptist Temple on the south side of the Windy City of Chicago, those churches that say that they're a church of the living God, he's doing a work in his people. God doesn't sleep. God doesn't slumber. He's at work all the time. Even when you don't see it, he's at work. And he is working in his church to be a glorious church. So what does that look like? That's what I want to talk about tonight. Father, thank you again for these people that are in your house tonight. Nobody had to come. Preacher's gone and could have just stayed home. But Father, I thank you for these that have a desire to be here and have made the effort to be in your house tonight. And I pray that you bless the teaching and preaching of your word, that the seed that will be scattered from this pulpit would land in fertile soil and bring forth root. I pray even now that you prepare hearts for revival services next week. And what a joy that will be for Brother Willette to be at this church for four nights. I just pray that you bless that meeting and that this church will just take a giant leap forward in their walk of faith. Now meet with us tonight, and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. A glorious church. When you look up the word glorious, the Greek word that's translated here in the text to glorious is also translated in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 as honorable. That same Greek word is translated in Luke chapter 7 as gorgeous. Now, every now and then I tell my wife, you're gorgeous. And it, and it doesn't just mean outward beauty. She'll just roll her eyes a lot of times. But I'm not talking about just outward beauty. Nor is the Lord Jesus Christ when he refers to his church. In fact, just the opposite. You can have outward beauty and be horrible on the inside. True or false? In Revelation chapter 17, there was a gorgeous woman, if you please. Someone that looked beautiful on the outside, but the Bible calls her the mother of all harlots. She was the epitome of immorality, and yet on the outside looked well. 
in Proverbs it says that a, a wicked woman, she can get involved in sin and wipe her lips and go on her day as if nothing ever happened. That's what we're not talking. We're not talking about outward beauty. We're talking about inward beauty that comes to the outside. And so God says here that he wants his church to be a glorious church, an honorable church, a gorgeous church from the inside out. It means illustrious, honorable, esteemed highly, splendid, notable. And so when God is at work at Bible Baptist Church, yes, you're going to enjoy the services. Yes, you're going to have needs met here. But ultimately, God is working in you as a body, not individuals per se, as much as a body to make this church a glorious church. So what's that look like? Let me give you a few suggestions tonight. And the sound men showed me their worksheets. Man, you guys take notes here. I got to be careful. I mean, I got to be real, real careful. I mean, Brother Dane is going to have a, a, a report on what went on here today. So point number one, we love Pastor Humbert. Put that down right there. <laughs> no, a glorious church. What's that look like? Number one, your membership is spirit-filled. Your membership is spirit-filled. Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 18, just earlier in this chapter, the Bible says, And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. I don't think any honest, born-again believer would ever get up and say that God condones drinking, any kind of drinking. You say, well, it, it just says not to be drunk. You get drunk by starting with that first drink. True or false? Come on, let's be honest. Don't try to defend what you want to do. Be honest. Read through the scriptures. God says, wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging. Whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Woe unto him that giveth his neighbor strong drink. You go through the scripture and you're going to find that alcohol and immorality are twin sisters. Yea, Siamese was, uh, twins. They're always connected. I remember my aunt when I spoke to her one time and talked to her about her divorce to, to her second husband, a very prominent man in the city, very wealthy man. And I said, Aunt so-and-so, what, what happened to your marriage? He said, well, he couldn't stay out of the bars. And I said, well, there's worse things. She said, well, Bruce, you don't understand. Alcohol and immorality are Siamese twins. You get involved in immorality, well, you know as well as I do, a lot of beer stores, a lot of taverns, they say wine and spirits. Because when you take alcohol in your system, you lose control of your mind. You're opening your mind to spirits, to evil spirits. And God says, don't let that happen. Don't give up one small piece of your mind to the wicked one. You let your mind be controlled totally by the Holy Spirit. God wants His church to be Spirit-filled. Yes, we'd like to have a thousand people here, but come on, who's going to do the most work for God? A thousand people that are walking in the flesh or a hundred people filled with the Spirit of God?
Gideon conquered an insurmountable enemy with 300 men. And we would say that would be a picture of a church that usually, a church that's moving and going, is usually moving and going because of a small remnant within the church. A church that is filled with spirit-filled members. What do I mean by that? First of all, they're saved. Secondly, they're separated. Thirdly, they're submissive. Fourthly, they're serving. That is a picture of a spirit-filled church. When a church is spirit-filled, it's obvious to all that walk in. People enter the room and they feel a difference from the world. It's a wholesome feeling. There's love. There's purity. There's excitement. There's hope. There's forgiveness. There's unity. There's joy. There's growth. And all that boggles the natural mind because we are all so uniquely different. And yet in a spirit-filled church, it's just like we're one big loving family. Church growth is not dependent on programs. Church growth is dependent on the body's relationship with the head of the body. The Bible says one man plants, another waters, but it's God that gives the increase. It's God that makes the thing grow. And so for us to see our church continue to grow numerically, because that's usually what we think of, we must grow spiritually first, because that will put the church in a right relationship with the head or the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews 10.25 says, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day appearing. So many churches today are cutting out Sunday night service and cutting out Wednesday and, and even cutting out Sunday school. We got it a one-hour preaching hour and make sure it's one hour. No more, no less. Vance Havner used to say, most churches start at 11 o'clock sharp and then at 12 o'clock dull. And too many churches are like that today. And that's why we don't have revival, because we're content to live without it. Let's just go to church, say our five hailed Dane Keeleys, and go home. We did what we had to do. No, the church of the living God is spirit-filled. And they don't want less church. If anything, they want more church. Now, maybe we can't hit everyone, but man, if you had it seven days a week, I could hit five out of seven, four out of seven. My desire is, as we know the approaching of the Lord, man, I want to be around God's people because that's going to help me be a better Christian. Number two, a glorious church is a church where music is spiritual. This is an easy sermon for me to preach here. This is what preachers call sugar stick. Otherwise, you're not going to be offended by anything tonight because we've already got this thing going on. But even to a good church, you can always increase your faith. It could be a, a gooder church or better yet church. Are you with me? Otherwise, we don't arrive and say, we're there, baby. <laughs> we're there. No. That's what the songwriter meant when he wrote the song, Higher Ground. I'm pressing on to higher ground. 
It's good here, but I want to get closer yet to the Lord. Ephesians 5.19, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Isn't it interesting that verse 19 follows 18? Now, I'm not making a stupid question there. Of course, 19 is always going to follow 18. But I mean the verse itself. First, God says, be filled with the Spirit. And when you're filled with the Spirit, first thing that's going to do is you're going to start talking. You're going to start singing. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, he talks about music. How many understand that music is the universal language? I mean, it crosses all lines, does it not? And there's all kinds of music today, most, most of which reflects the origin from whence it came, what, what country, what culture it originated from. But in every culture, every country, people have music for rest, you don't play heavy metal if you want to take a nap, unless you have a, your brain is already fried. You have music for war, that's when you play heavy metal. <laughs> you have music for romance, you don't start playing Amazing Grace and say, hey baby, how's it going? Are you with me? There's appropriate music for different occasions. There's music for play. There's music for work. There's music for worship. There's music for dance. And people know that. And that's why they introduce dance music in churches. Why? They're trying to get people to focus on the physical rather than the spiritual. Well, I like it. Well, understand that. And understand why. But it has no place in the house of the living God. A glorious church is going to have spiritual music, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, the text says, from God, about God, to and for God, music that exalts the Savior, music that explains salvation, music that excites believers, music that is exclusive from the world, that's spiritual music. You come into the house living God and you hear that kind of music, you're going to get fired up. As one man said, if that don't turn your crank, your handle's broke. Or if that don't light your fire, your, your wood's wet. What they're implying is this is spiritual music and this ought to feed the soul of the saint of the living God. Psalm 98 verse 4 says, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all the earth, Make a loud noise and rejoice and sing praise. If you're going to sing, sing out. So, well, I don't want, that's why I usually sit on the front row. And I obviously am recovering from a cold and, and I, <clears throat> it's dangerous for me to sing loud when I got a cold because number one, I'm not going to hit the right notes. Number two, who knows what's going to come flying out of my nose or my mouth. And it's not a good thing. So I kind of been a little reserved this trip. But when I'm in full, full good health, I like sitting on the front row because I sing everything. I sing soprano, octave lower. I sing, I sing alto. I'll sing tenor. 
I'll sing bass. I'll sing all four parts. Like I said, I've lived with women all my life. Just how, depends how I feel at the moment. I'll just sing that part. And you know, quite frankly, I make up parts every now and then. But if I'm sitting behind you, I'm going to throw you off. <laughs> We're going to make a noise together, hallelujah. But it'll be a joyful noise. Back at our church, you know, we have, we have obviously the spiritual hymnals. You got, I don't know what hymnal you have, but you have a good song in there. Because I've never heard page 406 on revival. That was a good song this morning. I'm not familiar with this hymnal. Throws me off because back home, when they announce a, a page number, I can get excited immediately. I already know what's coming. 498, when we all get to heaven. Love that song. 497, I have a home beyond the river. I get excited before they start singing. And so I'm amening and glory. And people, what's, what's he all excited about? I know what's coming. This is spiritual music. I've enjoyed your music here. It's always, for one, it's always happy. I mean, those men that sang and that one lady that joined them tonight, that was really sweet of her to join the men's ensemble. That was uh, awesome. Man, I mean, they sing with gusto, and that's the way it should be. Thirdly, a glorious church is going to be a church where missions is special. Ephesians 5, 17, wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Are you listening to me tonight? Don't forget this. Missions is the heartbeat of God. And when a church no longer is interested in missions, you have in essence taken the heart of God out of the church. It doesn't mean you can't continue Existing, you'll become a wonderful religious social club. Missions is the heart of God. Missions is the purpose of the church. Missions is the life of the church. Don't ever get high-minded about your church and think how wonderful that you are. And, and I hate to say it over and over because you, you could get proud about it. You have a wonderful church body here but just because it's wonderful today doesn't mean it always will be you read revelation chapter 2 and revelation chapter 3 there's seven churches listed there and every almost every one of those churches were warned that if you don't get something right god's going to come and remove the candlestick the light of the church it's repent or else you can do what you want, but I'm going to take the light out of the church. Who's the light? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's plenty of churches, or some churches are so well organized and high tech, they can produce a service that actually is like a virtual reality service. I mean, Hollywood could make, make a, a, a movie look real. Yet if you were there seeing them shooting the scene, guys shooting them, and it looks like they're being blown to pieces. There's a screen, green screen behind them. There's nothing, that's the furthest from the truth, but because of the electronics and computerization, they can make anything look real. Well, the church has gotten pretty good itself. Churches have learned the tricks of Hollywood 
to make their church look like the real thing. In fact, God deals with that in Revelation as well. He says, you have a reputation, you have a name that you're alive, but you're full of death. You're bankrupt. I want to remind you today, you and I need to keep missions as a prominent and special ministry of this church. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, God wants you to win souls here in Pembroke Pines and whatever county this is here, and at the same time around the world. Number four, a glorious church is going to be a church where movement is soul winning. It'd be very hypocritical to send missionaries across the ocean and you not walk across the street. If a body does not move, it's going to get weak. It's going to get sick. Eventually, it'll die. In fact, if a body is laying and there's no movement at all, your first reaction might be, Bruce, come! And if there's no response, your immediate conclusion is he's dead. Why? There's no movement. And so it is with the church of the living God. The movement of the church is to be soul winning. And when churches seek, uh, cease to be soul winning, they will become weak. And when you're weak, you cannot endure sound doctrine. Are you with me? You folks know I'm talking about this Sunday night crowd. There, there are churches that used to have their heyday, but they stopped soul winning. And what happened? They became weak and they could not endure sound doctrine. And not long after that, they were tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine, as Ephesians states. And that's why Today, it doesn't even look like a Baptist church. Why? They've become so weak, they can't endure strong doctrine anymore. And now they're just being tossed to and fro with every gimmick, marketing tool, every trick that supposedly is going to build a church. Just do what God says. Win souls. It'll become sick. The church will be filled with sin. And then it'll die. In the Old Testament, Ichabod was written on the door. What does Ichabod mean? The Spirit of the Lord hath departed. They quit. They didn't quit eating. They still heard sermons. But they quit moving. Soul winning is the movement of a glorious church. You think it's hard to go soul winning? You wait till you have a funeral for a church. Number five, a glorious church is a church where money is sufficient. Now this is unusual, especially after this morning when I said one of the seven things every church member ought to do is give. And some of you are saying, well, I heard the preacher tonight. We have enough money. I don't need to give anymore. That's not what I said. That's what you were hoping I would say. A glorious church is going to be a church where money is sufficient. Otherwise, we have what we need to do the work of the Lord. 
which only fulfills what God promised to the church. He said, my God shall supply all our need. Now, we might have some wants that we can't afford just yet, but God's going to supply our needs. We don't ask the world for, our, for help. We don't depend on the government to fund us. We just do what God says. We bring our tithes and offerings to the storehouse. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also, Jesus said in Matthew 6, 21. If every member would tithe, and then every member would just, by faith, give a grace offering, more than what God is even expecting of you, your church will have plenty of money to do whatever it needs to do for the cause of Christ. Are you with me? Number six. A glorious church is a church where men are strong. Many churches are blessed with a core of godly women. And sad to say, I've been in churches that are filled with a core of bitter women. When you have a church that's run by women, and I know this is being recorded, you have a church that's run by women, you're out of order according to the plan of God. That's not a sexist statement. That's not a derogatory statement towards females. Listen, I had a mom, she was female. I had two sisters, they were female. I married me a woman wife. And I thank God I married me a woman wife. I've been on men's retreats and shared room with other men. And I came home on my hands and knees and told Lori, I don't know what a woman sees in a man, but I'm so glad I got me a woman wife. I had five daughters, still have five daughters, seven granddaughters, four grandsons. ESPN is now back on, hallelujah. And I'm just here to tell you, women are wonderful, but if you're going to build a church, you've got to have men that will lead the church. You've got to have men that lead the home. That's the way God designed it. doesn't mean we're better smarter certainly not better looking but it's just a role that god has called us to do are you with me men before you start nagging at your wife that she's not following it's hard to follow a parked car you've got to be going somewhere but so many of our churches are void of men who will walk the talk and govern their life by the Bible, be active in the church, lead their families, have standards, involved in service with a loving attitude rather than as a dictator. 1 Corinthians 16, 13 says, Watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit you like men, be strong. God's saying, men, be the man that I created you to be. Be the leader. Be the man of the house. Be someone that's respectable. Be someone that your wife and children 
can follow. Oh, how the church needs men who assume the burden of leadership in the work of the Lord. I am not just teasing. I mean, I'm amazed at how many men you have in your church. And, and quite frankly, you ladies ought to be very grateful for that. To have men that are leading in the church and involved in the church of the living God. You need men that are not only active, but are strong. I think of Caleb, man, 80 years old. I'm 65 and my body feels like it's 265. It hurts all the time. You say, well, you haven't taken care of it. You can preach at me all you want. I don't know how it is the way it is, but it hurts all the time. I'm just thankful that I can still serve the Lord. Everyone in my family try, die, dies young. I've already outlived my dad. Three more years, I'll outlive my mom. <coughs> if I can get over this cold. So my, it hurts all the time. If I did what I felt like doing, I'd be in bed all the time. Just give me an electric bed. You know, on the... Then I don't have to get out and go anywhere. Make sure there's a refrigerator close by. Because you, you tend to eat more when you're laying in bed all the time. It just hurts. When I hear preachers talk about that glorified body that will walk through a wall, I just want to make a body that will get to the wall. That's all. I'm not asking for anything beyond that. I just want to make it. Think of Caleb, 80 years old, going into promised land. He could have coasted out. He was one of the leaders. He put in his time. And yet at 80 years old, looked at the mountain that he saw years ago. One of the tallest. He said, I want that mountain. Give me that mountain. I have the strength today that I had 40 years ago. Well, I've heard men say, well, I, I, I'm as strong today as I was 40 years ago. Well, you were a weakling then. Because <laughs> you're a weakling now. <laughs> but I have a hunch when Caleb said, give me that mountain, I'm as strong today. You know what he was strong in? Faith. faith. You know how I know that? Because only two guys came back and said, we can do this. Yeah, but there's giants. Man, you should see the grapes. I mean, they're, they're like Texans there. Everything's bigger and better in Texas. We have some Texans here tonight. I wanted to make them feel at home. Texans have a very uh, arrogant attitude about their state. They think that it's a better state than any other state. That, you know, they're usually very self-centered, very proud, egotistical, loud, braggadocious. And, uh, and even now, they're sitting there looking at me like, yeah, so what's the problem? You got a problem with that? I mean, we're the only state in the union that can fly our flag as high as the state of the United States of America. We're somebody. Okay, well, I, when I was younger, I didn't like Texans because of their arrogant attitude, but I've matured with age. I'm more grown up than I was then, and I've really come to the conclusion that everyone born in Texas is, is going to heaven. Everyone. Not people that moved to Texas. 
but people that were born in Texas, they're all of them, they're all going to heaven because none of them have ever reached the age of accountability. So, <laughs> Caleb, he's, he's looking at the promised land and he's seeing all those Texans there. I mean, everything's bigger and better. And Joshua, we can do it because God is on our side. Are you with me? We need some old men in this church, not just young men. But we need young and old. And Caleb said the first time he was young, but he didn't change when he got older. We have way too many older men that used to be on fire for God, but today they're not. They're not as strong as they were when they were younger in their faith. We need men that are strong. We're not better than a woman, but we're less of a man if we don't lead like God called us to lead. Number seven, a glorious church is a church that the message is the Savior. Let me read some scripture to you. Colossians 1.18 And he, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church that in all things he, Jesus, might have preeminence. Ephesians 3.21 Unto him who, Jesus, be glory in the church by Jesus Christ throughout all ages and world without end. Amen. 1 Corinthians 1, 23 and 24 But we preach Christ crucified. Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Galatians 6.14 But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Jesus is everything. That's why we preach Christ. That's why we sing about Christ. That's why we give testimony and praise to Christ. This church is a church with a message. It's not a message that's sent down from Baptist headquarters. It's not a message about how wonderful of a church we, the Baptists, are. I'm not ashamed of being a Baptist. I'm a Baptist by conviction, but a true Baptist is always going to point and glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. He was God in the flesh. He lived a sinless life. He took upon himself your sin and my sin. Think of the filthy, most wretched sin you've ever been involved in. God knew that. He saw it. He sees it. He sees every thought you have, every word that you utter, every secret deed you've ever done and ever will do. He has seen it all. He loves you. And he took upon himself your sin. He was buried. And he was resurrected from the dead. 
He's alive, folks. We have a risen Savior today. You can be a good Buddhist and go over to his tomb and see the remains there. You can be a good Muslim and go over and see the tomb of Muhammad, their prophet, and see his remains there. But you can't be a good Christian if you can find the fingernail of Jesus Christ. You know why? It's not there. He's resurrected from the grave. We have a living Savior. He lives. He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. We're not ashamed of that. He might be ashamed of us at times and with, with sad hearts and even a, a guilty conscience when the name of Jesus is mentioned. Even though we sometimes feel like we don't deserve to even be identified with him, we can't help but say, he's my Lord. He's my God. He saved me from my sins. Without him, I could do nothing. Without him, I'd surely fail. Without him, I'd be drifting like a ship without a sail. Jesus is everything. And a glorious church is a church where the members are spirit-filled, where the music is spiritual, where missions is special, where soul winning is the movement of the church, where money is sufficient where men are strong and a glorious church is a church where the message is of the Savior. God is working at Bible Baptist Church. Sometimes it's hard to see it when you're involved in it, but when you come from the outside and get to visit, we see things from a different perspective than you. Let me illustrate this way. We had five kids, born within five years. Do you realize that means there's always noise? Do you realize that means you're always teaching somebody or scolding somebody? I remember one time I walked into a room and saw all five of our girls laying in a bunk bed together. One bunk bed. They all had their own rooms, but all sleeping together. And they all have long hair like their mother and, you know, just look like a mound of hair in there and arms and legs sticking out. Looked a little like Cousin It, you know what I'm talking about. And I said, oh, isn't this so precious? You know why it's precious? They were asleep. <laughs> we can have a moment. I'm just saying... Folks, God is working in your church. People would tell us from time to time, oh, mention the daughter's name, she is such a good girl. She works so hard. And we're thinking, works so hard. Do you know how many times we have to tell her to make her bed? Do you know how many times we have to tell her to do the dishes? Do you know how many times we have to tell them what to do? I mean, I'd bribe them. I'd pay them. Your mother and I are going on visitation and I'm going to pay y'all, I'm going to pay you some money to 
to do the dishes and the vacuum. And I remember my second born, she's she quick thinker. I said, I'm a, I'll pay you a dollar to do the dishes. So I, we leave to go make a visit. I forgot something. We came back to the house. Come in the house. There's my second born. She's sitting in there watching television. Fourth born's in there cleaning the kitchen. I said, well, what are you doing? What are you doing? I, I said, I'd pay you if you. She said, oh, I understand. I'm paying her 50 cents. <laughs> so she's making 50 cents to watch TV. You know what I'm talking about. You, you got kids. And so when you get compliments on your kids, you're almost like, thank God. So they don't act the same out there as they do at home. My point is this. Sometimes when you're involved in your church, you can get to where you're, all you see is the imperfections. But I'm telling you from the outside, coming in, I'd come here anytime I'm invited to preach here. You know why? It's a glorious church. God's at work here. And I'm thankful to have the privilege to be a part of it. Now, I'll preach anyway. But some you just enjoy a little more than others, if you're allowed to say that out loud. And if not, cut the tape. A glorious church. Be submissive to the Lord Jesus Christ. And allow God to take your eyes off of yourself and even your own church and keep them on the Savior. And let's work together as a body for the honor and glory of Jesus Christ. Now tonight I haven't really preached a convicting message. It's hopefully an encouragement to you as a church. But I think tonight would be appropriate See, I think every service ought to have an invitation. And I think you ought to have what we call an altar call. It's in the Bible. You know who goes to the altar in the Bible? Believers. Not people that are unsaved to get saved. That's a good thing to happen at the altar. But you know who goes to the altar in, in the Bible? Believers. You know who's at the altar in heaven? You do know there's an altar in heaven. You know who's at the altar in heaven? Not unbelievers, believers. You know why? Because believers, in fact, if you look at every other religion, every religion builds an altar for those people to bow before their God. And it's funny, Baptist churches, we don't, we don't use the altar. We think that's, well, that, that's crazy. I can pray right here understand that but why did God build an altar in heaven why did he build one in the garden of Eden why has he built one throughout all of scripture it's a place where human beings that follow God and love God come and humble themselves physically you say well it's the attitude of your heart but the attitude of your heart always always affects the position of your body if it's just inside and doesn't come out, you don't have the real deal. What's inside comes out. And so that's why an altar call is so important. It gives believers a chance to worship. When you study the word worship, I challenge you. Get your Greek and Hebrew concordances. Go through the scripture. You can't worship unless you kneel. That's what it means. 
to kneel. We don't see that much in America because we have a president. But every other country in the world, when the king walks into the room, what do they do? They kneel before the king. And in America, and our culture has affected even our worship. And I'm saying, church, that's why I like having an altar call. It gives believers a chance to humble themselves before their God. And it's a testimony to everyone else. That man, he loves God. He may not be perfect, but he's showing respect and honor to the King of Kings. And then as we worship, we also pray and praise him. And I'm going to ask you as a church, tonight let's just start praying for revival services. Lord, I don't know where I'm sinning that I know of. I mean, to the best of my ability, I'm trying to live for you. But I want to open myself up. Whatever you want, I'm willing to do. Prepare me for revival next week. Use the preacher to speak to me personally. I want to be what you want me to be. I'm not trying to fit in on some denominational mold. I want to be the man or the woman you want me to be. So, Lord, even now I'm opening up my heart to have a week of preparation for the revival services starting next week. And, God, would you bless our church and make us a glorious church. Would you stand to your feet, your heads bowed, and I'm going to have the instrumentalists come and begin to play some music, and I'm going to offer a word of prayer and then invite you to come and join with me at the altar, and let's worship the Lord together and, and then pray. Father, it is not flattery. It's a certainly a, a compliment to these people and a blessing to be with them. And so, Father, we know that none of us deserve any praise and glory because we're just sinners, and any good thing in us is because of what you've done in our life. But, Lord, we're thankful to be a part of a good church, and we want it to be a glorious church for you. And so, Father, would you begin working in our hearts for revival starting this next coming weekend. Give Brother Ouellette the right words to say, the right text to preach from, and then, Father, shape us, mold us, direct us, make us usable for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Will you join me at the altar of prayer? Let's pray together. Let's just have a word of prayer together.